Father, it is well with our soul. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we can't see it, our soul can still be well because of what Christ did for us. Because of what he did for us on Calvary. It is well. So, Father, if you gave your own son, Lord, how can you not be concerned about the present struggles that we have, the present issues that we go through? We have to know and have the faith to know that our God is for us, that he is on our side, that he will work all things to the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. We have to believe, Lord, that we are not abandoned. We have to believe that there's more going on in this life than the things that we see, Father. That there's another reality that's at play. And that is you, Father. That you are not silent. That you have not given up. That you are still king over your creation. No matter what's going on, you are still at work. I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we see it, Father. No matter what is going on, no matter what we read in the news, no matter what we see on TV, our God is still the God of all creation. And you are at work. You work through sufferings. You work through trials so that you can have compassion and mercy. So we thank you, Father, and we pray these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Our uh, ministry moment today is, I'm just going to give you a reminder of just what the Village Church is about. Our vision is to know Christ, to enjoy Christ, and to glorify Christ. That's our vision. And our mission is to Embrace his love for us and to extend that love to other people, particularly to those that are different than us. Because as we embrace God's love for us, then we extend that love to others in relationships. There are three focuses of the village church. That's worship, family ministries, and serving. Those are the three things that we focus on. And worship, that means Praise team, that means setting out the snacks uh, on Sunday mornings. That means working the soundboard. Those are the ways in which we do the things we need to do on Sunday mornings. And we need folks to volunteer and help with that. Our family ministries, that's our Sunday equipping classes. That's Christian education. If you want to get Christian ed, then you got to come on Sunday mornings. That's our Sunday equipping classes. And it's Wednesday nights. That's when we do discipleship. If you want discipleship and if you want your kids to be discipled, it's Wednesday nights. So that means if they don't come, if you don't come, then you're not going to feel like you're being discipled. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. And serving. There's three areas in which we serve. That's Wednesdays at the Village. That's Shepherding and Care. And that's Community Service. Community Development. When Ms. Charlene came, that was Community Development. When she came last week and said she needs tutors. And so our community, our community development, we partner with Lincoln Village Ministries. And that's how we do community development. That's tutoring, working in the food pantry, helping out at Lincoln Academy. So those are the things in which we are about here at the Village Church. And if you have more questions about that, 
we have ministry teams that heads up all those things. And so if you're not involved, you feel like you're not connected, we want you to be connected. So talk to staff, talk to the officers, and talk to some of the lead servants. And if you have questions about who those people are, come see me, Ebony Allow, and we would definitely point you in the right direction because you ain't got to do everything, but everybody needs to do something. Amen. So, and if you are serving, I'm grateful, and I thank you for all your hard service. Thank you so much. Now, if you have your Bible, open it to James chapter 5. You're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11. James chapter 5. We are to live out our faith in a world that is not our own. In a world that does not embrace our faith. In a world that can be hostile to our faith. In a world that can misrepresent our faith. And we are to live it out, our faith in this world, without abandonment and without compromise. We don't abandon the world, and nor do we compromise our faith as we live in the world. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prayed to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that you keep them from evil. And through this letter, James has been teaching and showing you what it means to live out your faith in this world. What it means. I'm telling you, when persecution comes to America, you're going to love the book of James because you're going to need it. You see, we live in a country now where well, we don't really need that right now. But when persecution comes, you're going to need James, where it teaches you how to live in a world that one day will be hostile to your faith, that will one day misrepresent your faith, and one day will not ever embrace your faith. How do believers live in such a world? This is what the book of James is teaching you. This is what he wrote this book to Christians in such situations. If you've forgotten the things that we've talked about in the other sermons, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. That should be on the website. Now, this morning, we're going to begin looking at James's final words to his audience and to us. These are his final words on how to live out our faith in a broken and fallen world. So if you have your Bible, open to James 5, beginning in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 7. Here's God's word. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, this is not my truth. This is not my opinion. But, Father, it's your truth. The very word of God, the very word of God, and it's without error. It is powerful. It works along with your spirit in our life. 
And so we need him to take what is preached. Because if the spirit doesn't move, preaching is not powerful without the spirit's work. The spirit has to take what is preached and apply it to our hearts. The spirit has to be the one doing it. And so, Spirit of God, I plead with you, I bear with you, I cry out to you to come. Apply these words to my heart. I need it. Lord, I'm a sheep. I'm a son who needs this truth. So, Spirit of God, come. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Remember, in the beginning verses of chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, James, he, he, he called out these unbelieving landowners for their disregard for God and how they misused their wealth. This, this led them to hoard up treasures on earth, to live a, a life of a limitless self-indulgence, and to also oppress and mistreat those who labor in their fields. And James called out judgment upon these rich land, landowners. He says to them, come now, you rich, how and weep for the miseries that are coming upon you. So he was holding them accountable. But now in verses 7 through 11, he transitions from the unbelievers to talking to the church. In these verses, he seeks to encourage his audience in their sufferings, in their trials, in their hardships. Even as they bear with the hardships of others, he sought to encourage them. Many of them were probably on the receiving end of the treatment of these unrich just people. They probably were being oppressed. And so James wanted to shine God's light, shine the light of God's truth onto their suffering. He wants them and us to have faith and endurance. Faith and endurance as we face the trials and tribulations of this life. First, he deals with what hinders our endurance. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another's brothers so that you may not be judged. The believers that James wrote to, they were experiencing real trials. You've got to understand, this is, just, this is not just a narrative. This is history. They were suffering. He's writing to a group of people who were suffering, a suffering church. And we know this because he, begins, he began the letter talking about such kind of all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be, may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering was a clear and present reality for them. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us. We all experience trials of various kinds. Some of you right now are facing a trial. You don't look like it because we come to church and we put on the fake face. But we all are dealing with something that we hide from others. And others of you, you're, you're walking alongside of someone who is facing a trial. So we face our own trials, and we also bear the trials of others as we walk alongside of them. And look, trials are not fun. They're painful. They're hurtful. hurtful. And no one is standing in line for suffering saying, choose me, choose me, I'm your biggest fan. We don't do that. We don't do that. We're not a fan of it, but yet we know it. We're not a fan of it, but yet we know it. And some of you know it very well. It's a natural part of life, suffering. 
It is. The believers that James writes to, they knew suffering up close and personal. And he wanted them to endure it without grumbling against one another. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. He did not want them to continue to live with this type of spirit as they face trials and as they bear with one another's trials. See, grumbling here hinders your endurance. It hinders your endurance. And James says, I want you to stop it. Why does it? What's so bad about it? The Greek verb that has been translated to grumble can also mean to complain. That grumbling and complaining was done in a bad-tempered way. The believers were not bearing with one another in love in the midst of the suffering. They have turned their backs on each other. They're grown tired and weary of facing their own trials, and they've grown tired and weary of bearing with the trials of others. As a result, grumbling and complaining against one another started. There was no walking alongside of one another in a spirit of mutual brokenness. This can easily happen inside a church because the church is filled with sinful people with issues. You can easily develop a spirit of grumbling against one another inside a church. Suffering hardships can make you miserable to a point where you just complain. To a point where you just complain. I missed my spot. For example, this can be seen in a person who has the view of life that misery loves company. Do you know a person like that? The person who's, who, who lives by the view misery loves company, they want other people to be just as miserable as them. So if they're suffering and you hang out with them, guess what? They, go, they want you to suffer too. And, bear, and before long, grumbling will take place, hanging around people like that. You will begin to grumble against that person. And they'll begin to grumble against you because they feel like they don't love me. Another example would be is what I call the, the licking our wounds small group. The licking our wounds small group where you get together and you all complain and grumble about how hard you got it. You don't, you're not spurring one another alone. You're just getting together and have a pity party. You're not encouraging one another in faith. You just complain and grumble about how hard you got it. And not only that, you try to one-up each other about who had it the hardest. <laughs> you're, that's grumbling and complaining about your suffering, not loving one another in it. The second and third example is what I call the MCs. The MCs are miserable comforters, like Job's friends. MCs come to you and you're suffering. They try to fix your suffering. And they try to point out the sin or what kind of sin you have done that caused your suffering. They usually call more damage than help. They say things like, man, you're not over that yet. You're still struggling with that? Man, you need to get more mature. You need to go memorize some more verses. <laughs> you, you, you still struggling with that, brother? Man, you should be more like me. Then you won't struggle so much. What's wrong with you? Grumbling will take place. Grumbling spirit can develop over time. What I mean by what I mean by that? For example, when someone becomes a primary caregiver of a loved one, over time, if you're not watchful, if you're not careful, you will begin to grumble against the very person you love. What, what, how would that look? You would get tired of their neediness if you're not careful. 
you're going to get tired. You'll start grumbling against it. You'll help them, but you're going to help them with a bad spirit. Be watchful. Even if you're walking alongside someone who's stuck in a cycle of brokenness, over time, if you're not careful, you can end up grumbling against that person you say you love. And so you say you're going to walk alongside of if you're not careful. My point is that none of us are above developing a grumbling spirit as we face our own suffering and as we bear the sufferings of others. Misery loves company, licking your own wounds, small group, miserable comforters, and simply being burned out by other people's struggles. We all can fall into that. We all can struggle with that, but we don't have to live in it. We don't have to live with a grumbling spirit. And this is what James is telling us in this passage. Do not live with a grumbling spirit so you will not be judged. Back in chapter 4, James said, do not speak evil against one another. When we grumble against one another because of our suffering, that's what we're speaking evil against one another. We're passing judgment onto one another. And grumbling like this is a failure to trust in God's faithfulness. And it's a failure to love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our suffering, we bear our own suffering. We, We have to face it. But we also bear that of other people. And when we do that, we're fulfilling the commandment, of the, fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love one another. That's the law of Christ. And loving one another means we walk alongside each other in our sufferings. We bear it with one another. Let us do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will weep if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially those who are of the household of faith. That's what he's calling us to. Many Christians say they want more our church than the Sunday pretend sessions where everyone appears to have life all figured out. They all, we always hear people say, that, well, I want my church to be real. I want to be part of a church that's honest. Not one that's all about appearances. And I ask you, are you sure you want a church like that? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to be awakened from the matrix? Are you sure? Because I can give you the blue pill, and you can continue living ignorance, pretending everything is okay, or I can give you the red pill and open you up to the reality of what life is like in an honest church. And sometimes that reality is very painful. Being part of a church that's real and honest ain't sexy. It's not sexy. It can be painful. Why is it painful? Because, because when you start to admit your brokenness, when you start to admit you don't have it all together, that's hard. It's hard to admit my marriage is suffering. It's hard to admit I'm having issues parenting my kids. It's hard to admit I'm in so much debt because of financial irresponsibility. It's hard to admit those things. It's hard to admit that you're dying on the inside because you lost a loved one. It's painful. It's not sexy. 
In a church that is real and honest, members get dirty with each other's dirt. And that is what it means to be part of a church that's real and honest. You get dirty with each other's dirt. And I'm telling you, if you're not watchful and careful, you can end up grumbling against one another because of your dirt. Because you get tired. Do you still want to be part of a church that's real and honest? Or I can just give you the blue pill and you can continue in ignorance and pretend like everything's just okay. It's just okay. Continue to pretend that you got it all figured out. But I know you do not. You're just hiding. How can we endure without having a spirit of a grumbling spirit? It takes stamina. It takes stamina to endure suffering of your own. It takes stamina to bear with the sufferings of others. Verse 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. In verse 10, also, as an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The dictionary meaning for stamina is the ability to sustain prolonged physical, emotional, and mental effort. Your body needs stamina to do anything. And you increase your body's stamina, you have to enlarge your heart, your lung capacity to increase the stamina in your body. You have to build the muscles around your heart, and you have to strengthen your body muscles. When you do that, you build, your, you build stamina in your body. And you do this by gradually increasing your daily physical activity. You need the same increase in stamina if you're going to endure suffering. You need it. Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable from the Cosby Show says, he says, parenting takes physical stamina, emotional stamina, and, and mental stamina. And being part of a church that's really honest takes the same kind of stamina. Mental stamina, emotional stamina, and physical stamina. You need that. Not just a parent, but also be a part of a church that's real and honest. You need it. Because it wears on you. It wears on you. You need it to face your own sufferings. You need to bear the sufferings of others. What does this stamina look like? Where does it come from? Verse 8 says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The Greek word that's been translated established can also mean to make firm. To make one more able. To cause someone to be more capable. James is saying your heart needs to be made firm so it can endure. Your heart needs spiritual stamina that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ in order to endure suffering. And here's what it looks like. It's knowing Jesus. It's enjoying Jesus. It's glorifying Jesus. That's what it looks like. Knowing Jesus, enjoying Jesus, and glorifying Jesus helps build the stamina you need to endure suffering and trial. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every way has been tempted and, as we are, and yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer, and he knows what it's like to bear the, sin, bear the suffering of others. Just look at the cross. He knows what it's like. He knows what you're going through. And yet he sympathizes with you. 
abide in him and he will give you the stamina that you need to endure. I want you to think of stamina as a, as a two-sided coin. On one side, there's patience. On the other side, there's steadfastness. Let's look at patience. Verse 7, be patient therefore, my brother, to the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the rain. The stamina that Jesus gives you produces a patience similar to that of a farmer who, who plants, but who also has to wait for the harvest. He has to wait for the rain. The farmer has to be patient because there are certain things that are outside of his control. He can't make rain come, and he can't make the seed he planted produce. He has to wait patiently. But that doesn't mean he sits still and idle. He still has to cultivate the soil. He still has to weed. He still has to hold. He still has to fertilize. He has not abandoned his other responsibilities while he waited. So this is not an idle patience, but it's as one commentator called a militant patience. And a militant patience is an active patience. And an active patience in suffering means you live responsibly while waiting with expectation of the Lord to come to you. Active patience in your suffering means you live responsibly while waiting with expectation on the Lord to come give you relief because he will come. It's bearing suffering without giving in to it to the point where you become hopeless. To the point where you isolate yourself from other believers. To the point where you just give up on life. What protects you from the hopelessness is knowing Jesus in your suffering. That protects you. Knowing him in the midst of your sufferings. This means you holding firm to his word that he is good and faithful. Romans 8.28 says, For God works all things to the good of those who love him. You've got to know that about him in the midst of your suffering. Know that. Psalm 27. I already read. I already prayed that. I believe I should look upon the goodness of the Lord and land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Know that about him. You will once again see his goodness in your life. Amen. Know that in your suffering. Knowing Jesus here, this is you cultivating, weeding, hoeing, and fertilizing your heart with the truths of Scripture about who the truth would say Jesus is. You've got to remember those things in the midst of your suffering. You've got to bring those things to your heart. Isaiah 64 says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Are you waiting for him? He is an on-time God. You've got to know that about him in your suffering. Also, enjoying Jesus in your suffering also protects you from hopelessness. This means... You are running more toward him and not away from him. There are times when we suffer and struggle. We have a tendency to run away from God. Run away from Jesus. But no, you should draw closer. Draw closer to him in those times. And that can also mean drawing closer to his people. More than often, he comforts his people with his people. And we have a tendency when we're struggling to isolate ourselves from the people we need. God is a God of comfort. He comforts us in our affliction. 
Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is what? Light. That's Jesus. Are you enjoying that in the midst of your suffering? Psalm 119 says, This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise gives me life. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise gives me life. This is you going to Jesus, being honest with him about what you're going through. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend that you like suffering. Go to him in prayer. Acknowledge to him your hardships in parenting. Acknowledge to him your sufferings in your marriage, your finances, your business, your relationships, your health. Go to him. Acknowledge to him your poverty, your injustice, mistreatments. Cast all your burdens upon him because he cares for you. But do you believe it? That's always the question. Do you believe it? You can quote the passage, but do you believe it? You know it here, but do you believe it here? This is where it matters. Here. I can quote scripture all day long, but do I know it in my heart? Do you know it? Enjoying Jesus in the midst of your suffering is you knowing in your heart you are not abandoned. You are not forsaken. It's you saying what the psalmist says in Psalm 9, this I know, God is for me. This I know, God is for me, even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering. Knowing Jesus, enjoying Jesus, this gives you stamina to endure suffering with active patience. Now, remember, endurance has two sides to it. The second is steadfastness. After patience is you waiting on the Lord. Steadfastness is you persevering through suffering itself. You persevering through the suffering itself. And James gives us two examples of what that looks like. He talks about the Old Testament prophets and Job. The Old Testament prophets, they spoke God's truth to rebellious people. And many of them meant suffering. A lot of them did. Suffered for it. See, suffering from the church is not a curse. It's a normal part of the church's life in this world. What we are experiencing in America has not been the norm for the church historically. I hope you know that. If you know church history, you know the church has always been a persecuted church. Always. But the church grew. What did Rome try to do to the church? They tried to destroy the church. The more they tried to destroy it, what happened? It grew. It grew. Suffering. Somehow, when God uses it to grow the church more. The church in China is a suffering church. But what? It's growing faster than our church in America. So, it's not abnormal to suffer. It's abnormal not to, as a believer. Timothy says, Peter says, don't be surprised at what you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Don't be surprised by it. As if something strange were happening to you. Nothing strange has happened to you. You are experiencing what all of our brothers and sisters have already experienced since the day the church started. Suffering. 
Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you, it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but should also suffer for his sake. The question is, are we going to suffer well? It's been granted to you that you not only believe in him, but suffer for him. You know how you know, many people don't be quoting that verse? Because we don't like that suffering stuff. It's not strange. James said, we consider those who, stayed, who, who were steadfast blessed. He said, persevere through it. This is you engaging your suffering head on. Don't deny it. Don't pretend like it doesn't matter, that it doesn't bother you. You do this while holding fast to your faith. This is you learning to glorify Christ in yourself. And we, and we learn to suffer well when we come to see that it's not in vain. You learn to suffer well when you come to see that it's not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You want to suffer well? You got to see that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your steadfastness in facing your suffering and bearing with the the sufferings of others is not in vain. If you feel like you're burning out because you're burning with someone who's struggling so hard, guess what? That's not in vain. The Lord knows it. He will empower you. He will give you the stamina that's needed. If you feel like giving up because your marriage is tough and your finances are tough and you just want to give up on life, guess what? The Lord understands and he'll give you the stamina you need. You're not in vain. He will come to you. Just as he came to Job in his suffering. He had a purpose in it, the suffering he had for Job. In the end, what he did, the Lord had compassion and mercy on Job in due season. And he'll do the same for you. He will show you compassion. He will show you mercy. But you've got to believe it. We don't expect a lot from God. And that's just a weakness in our own faith. You have to expect him to come to you. Knowing and enjoying and glorifying Christ, that builds the stamina you need to endure suffering with active patience and steadfastness. Now, there's one more phrase that James uses here twice. It's coming of the Lord, or he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? This phrase is talking about your hope. The hope that one day your Lord and Savior is going to return to make all things right. So don't miss that in, in those phrases there. Because there are some things that might not get made right on this side of heaven. You got to know that too. But guess what? When he comes back, it will be. Hope. This is the hope of the life to come. The hope when you have no more suffering, no more sin, no more brokenness. This is you longing for heaven. So we establish our hearts in knowing Jesus and glorifying Jesus and glorifying Jesus with a watchful eye on our future hope. You have to have a watchful eye on your future hope. Charles Albert Tidley was an African-American pastor and hymn writer. Um, he grew up during the slavery period in our country. And he also wrote many hymns 
And a lot of his hymns dealt with a theology of suffering. And one of his hymns captures particularly the ideal of what it's like to establish your hearts in Christ while having a watchful eye on the future hope. It says, beams of heaven as I go through this wilderness below. Guide my feet in peaceful ways. Turn my midnight into days. When in darkness I will grope, faith always sees a star of hope. And soon all life's griefs and dangers, I shall be free someday. I don't know how long it will be, not for what the future holds for me, but this I know. If Jesus leaves me, I shall get home someday. Oftentimes my sky is clear, joy abounds without fear. Though a day so bright begun, clouds may hide tomorrow's sun. There will be a day that's always bright, a day that never yields to night. And in its lights, the streets of glory, I shall behold some day. Harder yet may be the fight. Right may yield to might. Wickedness a while may reign. Satan's cause may seem to gain. But there is a God that rules above. With the hand of power and the heart of love. If I'm right, he will fight my battles. I shall have peace someday. Burdens now crush me down. Disappointments all around. Trouble speaking mournful sigh. Sorrow through a tearful stained eye. But there is a world where pleasure reigns. Nor morning soul shall roam its plains. And to that land of peace and glory, I shall want to go someday. As you face your suffering, as you bear with the sufferings of others, you do it with beams of heaven shining bright before your eyes. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for beams of heaven. That as we go through this barren land, we go knowing we're going somewhere. We're moving towards something. And so we need you to give us the spiritual stamina that is needed to persevere through this life. To persevere through our own sufferings. To persevere in bearing with the sufferings of others. Because if you don't do it, Father, we can't do it. Because because of our sin, we, we won't do it. We need your spirit to move our hearts to do something like that. And so as we go out this week, Father, let us go out with a confidence, not in our flesh, but a confidence and expectation that our God is going to come to us. Help us to know that you are for us. You're not against us. And you know what we need. And help us not to lose hope, but, Lord, to persevere in the power of your spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.